All right, the bell has rung, so we'll get rolling. We are on lesson five, and Scott got to slide number two, according to what I listened to on the, the thing. So he got, didn't get far enough for me, Wayne. Um, but uh, he knew I was going to say that anyways. Uh, excellent lesson last week. I appreciate Scott filling in for me while I was at Lives to Leaders. And uh, he, uh, I'm about to start akinning him to Terry Edwards with the longest introductions to lessons ever, I think. But uh, no, uh, I appreciate Scott. Uh, and we'll pick up lesson five and kind of get into the concept of the leading of the Holy Spirit as we look at the scriptures this morning. Any prayer requests or announcements that need to be made this morning before we get rolling? Yes, ma'am. What's her name? Dana Miller. Okay, Elizabeth, your niece. Okay. Dana Miller, uh, Elizabeth Kinsinger's niece, right? Niece. Has a matter of days. Uh, and so we need to keep her in our prayers. Uh, I had the funeral yesterday for Ann Urquhart. And so we need to keep Jimmy in our prayers as well. Jimmy is here? Okay. I didn't know if he was. I know he's going up to, his, I think, his son's for a little while. But okay. Great. Well, let's. Make sure and surround him this morning as uh, Nell says that Jimmy is here this morning, which is good. I didn't know if he was going to be traveling yesterday or not. Uh, I'll tell you, those are the kind of funerals I don't mind going to, um, just to be honest with you. Uh, it's All right, good. Uh, but Sister Ann was such a dear, dear person. She, I think, was an inspiration for me. Um, but uh, anybody who battles can, I know there's several other examples I could call out as well, but she's the most recent one, that uh, anybody who battles cancer and hurts and suffers like she does, but still walks in that door to come here to be with the saints because she wants to be here is an inspiration to me. Um, and uh, Brother Joe Nall is another one I think of about that. But, um, you know, those, those are the kind of Christians that are so encouraging to me and that kind of epitomizes why we... Uh, why it's important not to forsake the assembly because it encourages one another. And uh, anyways, keep the Urquhart family in your prayers. Anybody else this morning? All right, let's, let's start off class with a word of prayer. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, we are so thankful, incredibly grateful for the wonderful blessings we have in this world. God, we're thankful for the rain that has come upon our land today and God, we ask you to be with those who may be traveling and keep them safe in the midst of this. And, but, God, we're thankful for all the things we see around us. During the springtime, we can enjoy your creation as it blooms and blossoms and begins to grow again. And God, we're so thankful for the things you have given us for us to enjoy while we tarry on this earth. And God, we ask that you please continue to watch over us, be with us, help us to be encouraged on a daily basis by one another, and by your word. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the Spirit's inspiration to those men long ago that helped pass along your instructions and your guidance, those commands that we need to follow, that we know how to make it back to you one day. God, we're thankful for this church, which you foresaw the, the need to establish on this earth while we awaited your son's coming. And 
God, we're thankful for the congregation that meets here at Dalreda. And we're thankful for the, the good brethren and the family that we have here. Because most of us would readily say that we would not be able to make it day to day without our family at church. God, we ask you to please be with us during the course of this study as we continue to explore your word and study about your spirit. And God, may we allow the, the, the scripture to speak for itself. May we always strive to seek and to search after what it has to say and what it has to reveal to us without trying to take it upon our own shoulders to come up with something. God, most of all, we're thankful for Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for our sins, and it's through his name that we pray. Amen. Lesson five uh, deals with the leading of the Holy Spirit, and Scott did an excellent job really getting into, I would say, a lot of the, the specifics as to why it becomes a complex issue in our world around us, especially the religious world around us, because of so many people trying to rely upon the Spirit uh, in some type of a mystical or sensational or supernatural type of way. And a lot of times when they get into that kind of a context of talking about the Spirit leading them, my ears always kind of go up, you know, and the hair on the back of my neck starts rising up and start thinking, where, where are they going with this? Because that phrase is sometimes used of, well, I'm doing it because I'm being led by the Spirit. You know, if you turn on your TV today and watch any of the religious programming uh, you will likely hear something along the lines of someone saying they are speaking the way they are speaking because they're being led by the Spirit. And we all hope they are being led by the Spirit, being the Word of God. But more than likely, that's not the meaning that they are actually using that phrase. Now, where does that phrase come from? And I believe Scott referred to this last week as we looked at the lesson and as he began to introduce it. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, this phrase is actually used. It is a biblical phrase. So when someone uses this phrase, it's not as though they're coming up with something that is new or innovative. Uh, it's not something that is excluded from the scripture, but it is a scriptural phrase, which really kind of brings about why there's a conflict sometimes and why there's sometimes confusion. Because someone looked at Romans chapter 8, verse 14, and the question really becomes, what does a person mean when he says the Holy Spirit's leading him? Because the scripture, being Paul, talks about the, the, the Spirit leading Christians, so what, in fact, does he mean? Look real quickly with me there in Romans chapter 8 there in verse 14. And if you look at the context, Romans 8 is really talking about here in this whole uh, chapter here. And as we go on through uh, chapter 8, we'll get into it in some other lessons as well. Uh, the, uh, the dichotomy between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul deals with that a great deal in Romans. In fact, if you want to kind of get into some, some deep level thinking, read the book of Romans from, from chapter 1 all the way to the end. And as you see, those 16 chapters kind of unveil a kind of a conceptual analysis that Paul had to deal with, with people being led by the flesh or being led by the spirit. Now, being led by the spirit, though, of course, is where we're talking about. And it comes to its uh, pinpoint here in Acts chapter 8, verse 14, where he says, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So as he's talking to the Roman brethren there, in this book, as he's trying to convey to them the difference between living by the spirit versus living by the flesh, uh, you see this phrasing used here that those who are led by the spirit of God, those are the sons of God. So the question obviously comes to us, what does it mean to be led or to be leading by the Holy Spirit? 
But this Holy Spirit is leading us. What does that mean to us? And then conversely, you could even say, what does that mean in the first century when you, when you saw the phrasing used by Paul here in this context? What could it mean? What does it mean? Why do the religious world as a whole, why do our friends in the religious world use this phrase in their teachings? Well, what we come to see is that so often and sadly enough that there's a, a confusion there with regard to it. And this phrase is usually used to justify why they practice certain things. Because they have this innate feeling they have an emotional response. They have some type of a predilection maybe to do something because maybe that's what they had seen done around them in the world. And then they say they're doing it because they're being led by the Spirit to do these things. And so in themselves, they use this as an argument and as justification or rationalization for something that they do for the basis of their religious practices and beliefs. And unfortunately, when you look at this, and when you see uh, what the scriptures have to say about the leading of the Spirit, it doesn't always jive with what the, world, the religious world around us seems to promote. And so this phrase, though, needs to be explored. We need to make sure that we are understanding as to what Paul is saying there and how it may apply to us even today. Now, don't ever forget the, the little word called context. And I think that's one thing that we have probably hammered home in every lesson that I've, I've, I've given and another lessons that I've heard Scott has given uh, the, the idea of context of the Scripture is very important, especially when dealing with the Spirit, because you've got to understand there are some differences in time. We'll talk about that in a moment here, but there are some differences that occur from today than the first century church. And we cannot, un we cannot take every verse out of context to try and apply it to our lives. And, and if you look at John 14, 15, 16, those, those chapters there talking voluminously about the Spirit and what the Spirit's going to do, we, we've spoken about that in at least two other lessons, I know. You cannot just blanketly apply those to today's world when they were given contextually into the first century church's world. And really more specifically, you know, the, the life that Christ left behind when he uh, ascended from this earth, uh, that he was going to make sure that they had those proofs, those evidences by the Spirit there in the first century. So uh, things have changed somewhat. Time, yes. Dates have changed, yes. Necessity has changed. And we've talked about that in some of our previous lessons, that there are not necessarily the same needs that we have today because we have the revealed Word of God that they had in the first century church when they didn't have such proof. They didn't have such evidence for the foundations of their faith. And so context is always important. But as we kind of begin and look at this study of Scripture, I, I do want to at least make the point here that you do see in Scripture that there is miraculous leading of the Spirit. So I don't want to just throw that out, you know, the window with regard to the Spirit leading people in supernatural type manners and ways because the Scriptures actually do talk about that. Look real quickly, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and you'll see there that, that Jesus himself talks about being led by the Spirit. And if you'll remember the context of Matthew chapter 4, the context is there at the temptation of Christ. And there in verse 1, it very succinctly says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led Jesus Christ to the wilderness in order for him to be tempted. Now, we can get into a lot of the philosophical, religious type debates about the Spirit leading him to face temptation, that's a different class, a different time period. For purposes of this study, though, what we need to look at is, and, and what we need to see is that the Scriptures talk about the Spirit leading Jesus. Now, how did he do that? 
Well, it would have been a supernatural type, miraculous type of manner. Because unlike today, there's not like, some written word down that, that says, Jesus, you need to go to the, the wilderness for temptation today. You know, and that's, that's not what we see in this passage of Scripture. So what we can conclude, what we infer from the circumstantial evidence that we see here in the Scripture is that this is a miraculous leading, some type of a supernatural leading. I would say this is some type of a connection with deity um, with regard to the Spirit leading Christ. Uh, there to the wilderness for temptation. You also see it, though, in, in the book of Acts, at least three times that I've got listed there. Uh, probably there's some other ones that you could uh, talk about as being possible allusions to the leading of the Spirit. I don't want to get too deep into this uh, this morning, but when you think about the leading of the Spirit, you look at, first of all, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 there. You cannot help but see, during the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, how did Philip even go there? Do you remember? Well, verse 26, it says, Angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, told him to get up and go south of the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. He went there and Ethiopian eunuch was there. Now, with regard to the Spirit's involvement, if you keep going on down with regard to verse 39, uh, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him. So, you know, you can talk about the supernatural leading of the Spirit. Here's a, a very specific example of the spirit being infinitely involved, intricately woven into the actions of man. He snatched Philip up. Now, I'm not sure exactly how this happened. Uh, I'm not going to try to explain it to you or describe it to you, right, Wayne? I mean, I can only imagine what poor Philip was thinking when he got snatched up by the spirit. You know, was he given any kind of warning? We don't know. All of a sudden, he is snatched up, boom, taken away. The Ethiopian eunuch saw him no more. So was he just kind of flying in the air? Did he supernaturally disappear from here and go to this location? I have no idea. Don't ask me. Oh, the Spirit did not reveal that in the Scriptures. My guess would be it would be not important how it actually occurred, but it did occur. And so we see the supernatural, miraculous leading of the Spirit in the book here in the book of Acts here for Philip. Acts chapter 10 is also another uh, place where you see the, the Spirit being directly involved with regard to leading the individuals that are working on God's behalf on the earth. And in Acts chapter 10, there in verse 19, whilst, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the man you are looking for. What's the reason you've come? And of course, we know the rest of the story with regard to this is the fact that Peter goes and talks and preaches to Cornelius and his whole household. They accept the truths there and obey the commandments of God. We know they say that they are that he and his whole household are baptized and become Christians at that point in time. But how does Peter get there? The, the Spirit is involved directly in the leading of Peter going to Cornelius. First of all, the Spirit spoke to him directly. Second of all, it says the Spirit of the Lord actually sent, it sent them, right? Three men are looking for you. I have sent them myself. And so the Spirit not just guided Peter, but I would say the Spirit here also guided the three men from Cornelius' household to come to Peter. You see also the Spirit's leading in Acts chapter 16 uh, with regard to the Apostle Paul. And real quickly, if you look there in verses 6 through 7, you're going to see the Spirit's involvement there with Paul. Since so they passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. You see direct intervention, miraculous involvement, if you would say, of the Spirit's involvement in leading where they were going to go and when they were going to teach. The Spirit directly led them. 
And so you see these examples in the New Testament. You see the Spirit's leading uh, as miraculous in some, some respects. But that's not the only way that you see the Spirit leading in the Scriptures in the New Testament. And that's where we want to go today. There is miraculous leading, or at least there was miraculous leading. Let me use the right verb connotation in the New Testament. But for us to say that the Spirit only acts in miraculous ways is erroneous when you compare it with the New Testament Scriptures. And so as we look to the rest of the lesson this morning, I hope that we can uncover this understanding that the Spirit does in fact lead us as Christians. When we are led by the Spirit, we are in fact sons of God, as, as Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. But it may not always be, or it may not be at all miraculous in our lives. It could have been at one point, we see that in these examples here that are very specific, talking about the Spirit's involvement. But when we deal with what occurs today, we've got to understand a proper context and the proper scriptural support for such things. Think about real quickly here that you see in the, in the, in the, throughout the Bible that God as a whole, uh, God as being the, the supreme three-in-one being, has always been described as leading, not just the Holy Spirit. So don't get confused and don't get caught up in the fact that sometimes that the Godhead uh, actually is all involved with regard to the leading as well. Uh, you see leading occurring in the Old Testament with regard to Noah, of course. You see Abraham, you see Israel as we have the leading of God there. And of course, as we're talking about God, the Father being involved in those specific instances because his, the word used for God in the Old Testament is a lot easier to understand than the New Testament, by the way, when you, when you think about the differentiation there. And as you talk about Jehovah God and you talk about God the Father being involved in those direct things, he is described as leading those men to certain things. Uh, he led Noah, of course, to build the ark. He, he led Abraham out uh, from his own homeland to travel to the, the, the country that he would be giving to them, right? And you see ultimately God leading Israel out of Egypt as he led them. Now, uh, how did he lead them? Well, we, we know he led these people. He led these individuals by speaking to them, by his words. And so God spoke to them, giving them direct uh, understanding as to what they should do. These people, these three examples at least we see here, Noah, Abraham, and Israel, would respond accordingly. If they believed that God was in fact uh, the true and living God, they were going to follow and obey what God said. And that's what we see they occurred, right? Noah's called faithful. Abraham's called faithful. The children of Israel are called faithful from time to time when they decide to, to follow God. But they're, they're faithful because they hear these words and then they take action thereupon. And so you see God leading them by uh, their obeying of his will. You also see God the Son leading people. John chapter 1, verse 43, John 6, verses 44 and 45. You, you see the command that Jesus had to the people. And I'm not going to get into all the scriptures there. And there's several other ones that we could probably underline and, and use <coughs> with regard to the leading of Christ of these people. But he led them to understanding. He commanded them. He told them certain instructions. And so what you see is the leading of Christ there, hearing his words, obeying his words. There was really no mysterious or supernatural forces being involved in Jesus leading the people, was there? No, not all the time. Now, we understand he used some miracles. But in fact, if you look back at those miracles, were any of those miracles performed in order to coerce or to lead the people? 
No, in fact, the, the, the purpose of the miracles, which we studied several quarters ago, looking at every one of these miracles, there was a purpose and distinctive meaning for the, the miracles. And that was to underscore the importance and the authority of Jesus Christ. It wasn't to lead them some way or some form or fashion. Those supernatural things that Jesus performed were not to lead them down a certain road necessarily, but to illustrate his authority and his commandment over the people and the fact that they should listen to him. So it all goes back to really how did Jesus lead them? He led the people by his words. You know, I imagine him sitting up on the mount as the, the Sermon on the Mount occurred there, those three chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that we can read about that Sermon on the Mount. And, and how was Jesus leading the people? He was leading them with his words. He wanted them to understand and, and take action upon those understandings. And that's ultimately what we see occurring later on down the road. But Jesus led the people, just as God the Father would lead the people, not by some mysterious influence or supernatural power all the time, but by using the truth and teaching so they understand. And then we also come to God the Spirit leading the people. So how does God the Spirit lead people? Well, we see several different ways, and, and we, we, we talk about the different manners and approaches that are used with regard to the leading of the Spirit. We've already talked about some of the supernatural illustrations, where obviously the Spirit used some supernatural things. God the Father used supernatural things. How did He lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Well, by his words, for, first of all, you remember that? He said, get up and leave Egypt, right? I'll take care of you. I'll, 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 I'll comfort you. But, but while they're in the wilderness wondering, how did he lead them? By a pillar of fire at night and by the cloud during the day. So there was a somewhat of a supernatural leading, if you want to argue that. The Spirit may use or may have used supernatural ways to lead as we've already spoken about when you actually pick and pluck Philip up and leave and move him it's hard to argue that wasn't supernatural leading right I mean you just can't argue that but that's not the only way we see in scripture so as we go through the rest of this class I hope to try and and help you understand and help see how the scriptures talk about leading us today and not not maybe the same manner uh, with regard to the supernatural, but he does lead in the same manner as God the Father and God the Son did with regard to the words spoken. And we've got to understand that that has always been a way in which people have been led by God, whether it's God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit. It's always by those words which bring about a, a concerted and sincere belief that those words should be followed, and adoption of those would require someone to be obedient to those words, right? Well, you just think about it in our families. You know, your, your child, and, and this weekend, unfortunately, I, I'm a single parent. Monica decided to go on a beach trip and, and not take me with her. Um, and when she went, she decided to leave the two girls at home with me. Um, so when you see them this morning, uh, I hope their hair is as, about as good as I can do. Scott, you probably feel my pain there, brother, uh, trying to do the hair. My, my youngest wanted a braid in her hair, and, you know, I've braided hair before. Not that great at it, so don't mock her hair, please. But children... Children, as they grow up, start understanding this adoption and obedience a whole lot better when they're little. You know, Tinley right now being five years old doesn't get it. And I lose my patience with her and sometimes I raise my voice with her probably when I shouldn't do it just because she doesn't always understand. And it's my fault when I look back on it and I go and apologize later. And, you know, it's just what daddies do sometimes, um, especially with little girls. Just anyways. Um, but. When I get older, Marley now, eight years old, you know, she starts to understand 
there's a comprehension that becomes involved. And then, then I can only imagine as they become teenagers, Scott, as, as they get older and older, they really start understanding better there. And it becomes an adoptive realization there that the things that you're saying should be followed because, first of all, you know what you're talking about. Second, usually we've experienced it before ourselves. But second of all, because the authority that we have, as they get older, they understand. So you kind of have this two-pronged approach as children grow up. It's not just a matter of, okay, I'm going to do it because daddy says so, but it's I'm going to do it because daddy says so, and I have an understanding and realization that that's a good thing to do. And that kind of adds on as we grow up, as you think about the development there. With regard to the leading of the Spirit and the leading of the Father and the leading of the Son, that's the developmental approach that occurred throughout all those leadings that we see in the Scriptures. It's the fact that the people heard the Word, and it wasn't just a recognition of their authority, but as an adoptive reality of the necessity of the obedience to what has been said. They realize we've got to do it because it's been said by someone in authority. And we need to do it because it's something that, that should be done and should be accomplished because God has said so. And you see that throughout all of scriptures, not just pertaining to the Spirit, but also to the Father and to the Son. Since the Holy Spirit's an intelligent person, He speaks to people, they hear, and they obey. The Holy Spirit speaks to people today via the Scriptures. We can look at several different Scriptures that kind of look at that. But look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 real quick with me. The Scripture speaks to us, and the Scriptures are, by an extension, the Spirit speaking to us as He has inspired the men to be able to convey the words of God to us. If you look in... uh, I was going to say, that's not right, but that's 2 Thessalonians. That, that, that's 2 Thessalonians, yeah, 2.14, okay, wrong verse. We should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brother. This is verse 13. By the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord and Jesus Christ. And so the idea of being called being uh, brought about to the gospel inexplicably uh, intertwines the Spirit's work with us. We're called by the gospel. How is the gospel conveyed to us? Well, we know the gospel is conveyed to us from the scriptures, from the truth that lies therein. And that scripture comes from and through the Spirit. And so the Spirit leads us through the scriptures. Other verses such as Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 and Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 also talk about this concept. When people follow the New Testament, they are really being led by the Spirit because the Spirit allows us to follow His instructions and His commandments, those things which He has said and conveyed to us through the scriptures so that we will hopefully go down that path unto salvation. Obviously, this this conclusion is disputed by those who claim the Holy Spirit operates directly upon them. We're going to talk about that in just a second if we get into that part of the lesson. Uh, But obviously, that would be religious error when you get into the idea of direct operation. Nowhere in the Scriptures does it say that we will attain or have a direct operation of the Spirit upon us in order to force us or to lead us directly in some form or fashion. Now, there's some examples, as I've already reiterated here. We're talked about being given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's the next class. So I don't want to get into what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are today, necessarily. But when you think of the concept of the leading of the Spirit, there is no passage of Scripture 
And if we're going to base our faith upon Scripture, those things which are written, those things which we can hear, those things which we can understand, there is no Scripture that talks and tells us to expect a direct operation from the Spirit to lead us to do something, some type of a supernatural way or form or fashion. And when I say direct operation, that's what I'm meaning. It's some type of a supernatural function, such as the direct operation of the Spirit plucking up Philip and taking him away from the Ethiopian eunuch. All right, there's no expression by God that we need to expect that. There's no expression by God in the Scriptures that that is required for salvation. Why is that important? Well, when you look at other doctrines such as the Calvinist doctrine and you look at other type of things where there's got to be some movement of the Spirit, when you look at some of these sensational uh, Pentecostal-style religions uh, where there's a belief that unless you have this feeling, this emotional experience from the Spirit that you cannot attain salvation, there's nowhere in the Scripture that talks about that. Uh, And our friends, unfortunately... And I've read so many different articles from individuals who were religious at one point. They just go flip, direct opposite. They go atheist. Why? Because uh, their faith is shattered because they thought they were supposed to have this spiritual, uh, Holy Spirit experience, and they never did. And sadly, they've missed the point with regard to how the Spirit leads us in our world today because they have missed the importance of the Scriptures being the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what you find yourself in with regard to (coughs) the Spirit and its involvement with our religious friends. Calvin, uh, John Calvin that is, who is primarily uh, responsible, we're going to discuss, I think in the next lesson, or no, last lesson of this series, if we even get there. Uh, But uh, Calvin insisted that the Holy Spirit had to work independently of the Word because of man's original sin prevented him from understanding the Scripture until he was illuminated by the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the concept that Calvin uh, promoted. And if you, if you look at the basis of a lot of the Protestant religions around, especially the United States, they all stem from Calvinism, by the way. You look at Baptists, you look at Methodists, Episcopalian, a lot of them will have the foundations of some of those uh, Calvinistic-type doctrines. Uh, the concept of once saved, always saved, that's part of Calvinism. Um, this concept here with regard to the Spirit uh, having to act upon your life before you can open up your mind and your insights to the Word of God. Uh, that's kind of like that threshold requirement. You've got to have this Holy Spirit experience before you can even understand what God has to say. That's a Calvinistic doctrine. And you'll, you'll be shocked to believe that some of your religious friends actually, the, the, the religion they're a part of, believes that. Now, whether they do or not, they may not even know that. They may think, well, that makes no sense. Well, then why are you Baptist? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's going to be the question that you need to ask because if you look at their, their core beliefs, that's where they kind of go to. It's very interesting to me. Um, but that, that is an error, erroneous type of approach to it uh, because we don't see that in the Scriptures being that threshold requirement. Uh, there are experiences such as Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10 where the Spirit did come upon them before they became Christians. I'm not going to refute that. There's a reason and a purpose. We'll get into that later on, hopefully in some other subsequent lessons. But nowhere in Scripture does that say that's what the way it has to be for Christians to attain salvation. Nowhere. And so when you, when you look at our friends who start espousing those arguments, you, you, you want to say, well, let's look and see what the Scriptures have to say. And the scriptures fail to support the idea that the Spirit leads in this mystical manner. 
Uh, there's no mystical leading. Uh, an occasional piety by the Holy Spirit is not even suggested in the scriptures. So uh, this idea of the dramatic, never saving. There's no example that the dramatic intervention or the Holy Spirit uh, being involved. In fact, look in Acts chapter 10. If you want to look at the example, that's the one that a lot of people like to point to and say, well, that, the Spirit was led, the Spirit saved them there at that point because the Spirit came upon them. Well, the, the problem is, is what happened after the Spirit came upon them? They were baptized later on. So obviously the Spirit coming upon them wasn't enough when you look at that scriptural support there. In fact, that's what Acts chapter 11 goes on to say whenever the report went back to the, the apostles and they talk about the impact of Cornelius and his household's conversion. You see the idea there that Jesus has extended the gospel to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And that extension was evidenced by their baptism, not necessarily by their spirit falling upon the God's spirit falling upon them. God's spirit falling upon them showed an acceptance. It evidenced God's uh, hand in his involvement, his willingness, uh, the idea that they were specifically set apart as well. It equated them with what occurred on the day of Pentecost when the Jews experienced a very similar situation. But it did not save them. They still had to take action. Why else would they have taken action that day and become baptized believers? So you see there in the scriptures, there is no evidence that dra the dramatic, the supernatural, this type of... of uh, Dramatic experience has uh, ever been a, a conduit for salvation. In fact, the, the scriptures uh, show us that the, the reason thought has always been the way to salvation. And by reason thought, it's the idea of, again, hearing, believing, accepting, and obeying. You're a reasonable approach there, right? When we activate reason in our minds, it's not just some drunken stupor activity that you're just doing just because everybody else is doing it's not that you're just doing it out of habit. It's not that you're doing it just because uh, you necessarily feel obligated. If you have a reasoned, thoughtful approach to salvation that comes about by hearing and actually analyzing, evaluating, thinking about what's being said, and then taking action upon that if you deem it to be acceptable. That's a reasoned approach. And in fact, that's what the scriptures talk about as being the basis uh, for Christians as the Spirit guides and leads us. In fact, the, the Spirit's clearly teach one will not be led by the Spirit until thought and study of the Word has been given. Think about that. The Spirit's involvement will not necessarily occur until someone looks at the Word and there's been thoughtful or studious uh, contemplation of what they're either hearing or reading. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, there we are encouraged there by God encourages them to reason together, to, to think about things, not just to accept it, we got to think about it. We're called by the word, as we just read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14, there's that calling of the word is, is an, uh, a, a push to take action upon what is being conveyed to us by God so that when the word of God leads us, when the Spirit leads us, there is an invitation there to take action because we are being called by that word to take that action. We're told in Romans chapter 1, 16, that the gospel is the power unto salvation. If the gospel is the power to salvation, why are our friends in the religious world arguing that the Spirit is the salvation? Or the Spirit is the one who provides the power unto salvation? That's not what the scriptures have to say. 
And in fact, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul underlines and shows the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power unto salvation, not some mystical, sensational type uh, experience, some dramatic experience that we've, uh, we've had in our lives that have made us just change our lives and become a saved Christian. I should have put that in parentheses. It's not that. It is a rational, reasoned discussion and thought process. It's a mental evaluation where we see the importance of what God wants us to do. We grab a hold of that by pure obedience and we do what God wants us to do because we have heard his word and we take action in our lives. Failure to understand this point, unfortunately, has called many to suffer a lot of grief. And, you know, there's a lot of illustrations that we can see. I've already thrown out one of, of the idea that I've read, and you can Google it if you want to, or look at some different stories about these people who just turn their back on God because they haven't had that experience. They thought they should have, but they didn't. And unfortunately, it's caused not just their faith to fail, but their lives have become ruined. They have no spiritual life at that point in time because they have misunderstood what really the Spirit should be doing. The Spirit leads through the Scriptures. Uh, salvation is grace through faith, as we see, through faith as we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Faith comes only from the Bible. How do we know that? Well, Romans 10, 17 says, how do we know faith? How do we have faith? How do we gain the faith? Well, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Right? Our kids even sing a little song about it. You know, and it's a very basic foundational approach to where faith comes from. It doesn't come from an experience. Faith comes from understanding. Faith comes from hearing the words that God has spoken to us, conveying to us his desire for us to be one and united again with him as they were in the Garden of Eden before sin came upon the earth. Those same words that are conveyed to us to tell us how we can show our obedience, our faithful, loving obedience, and then uh, have that cleansing from Jesus' blood, the idea of the, the, the saving gospel of, of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we preach New Testament principles in our lives. Why? Because that's where faith comes from. And, of course, we know that the only Bible, uh, that only the Bible is able to lead to salvation. Without the Bible, where would we be with regard to salvation? In some black abyss, right, without it. Because that's the only way we know about it. It's the only way we know how we can attain it. It's the only way we know what to do to preserve it. And so the, only through the Bible, only the Bible is able to lead us unto salvation. Real quickly, if you look in the scripture, salvation uh, here as we see is... Um, is it accomplished and is illustrated in the book of Acts? And I've kind of deviated, I'm sorry, from some of these points here. The first point, by the way, is the Spirit is the, um, I think it's the author of salvation. I should check my slides and my handout. I usually do that just to make sure, uh, but with, with regard to that. And um, the second one is the Holy Spirit does not directly... Um, directly operates, sorry, on sinners. Uh, and then third one is his leading is illustrated in the book of Acts. So that's where we're at right now. If you're looking at your handouts, I'm sorry. That I like to check my blanks to make sure they're on the screen and they weren't today. Um, but you look at the book of Acts and you're going to see the illustration here of the, the leading of sinners even to salvation uh, through the book, of, uh, the book of Acts. And you'll see multiple examples there. The fact that the scripture is the one who points lost souls and leads lost souls, leads the, these alien sinners to Christ. 
Uh, and you'll see that in, in Acts chapter 2 there, the, when the 3,000 believed. How do you believe? Well, you're led by the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit what and how? Through His Word, the Word of God being teached and proclaimed. That's what Peter did there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Proclaimed unto them Jesus, who they had crucified. And you see their response ultimately there in the passage there as they called out. And, and, and verse 37 and 38, you see their response to what has occurred when the Word was preached to them. Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And of course you see Peter's response. Repent and believe. Right? Be baptized. For the salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins is the way the passage reads. And so there's a responsiveness there to the word of God that salvation was accomplished as they obeyed the word of God. Of course, there's 3,000 went on to be baptized. And the same thing occurs in Acts chapter 4, verse 4. After they heard the word, you had another 5,000 that responded, that obeyed, became baptized believers and gained and accomplished that salvation which God had outlined for them that they could all uh, obey and do. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. You see an example there. Salvation was accomplished as the Samaritans believed the preaching there of the apostles in Acts chapter 8. You see, of course, we've already talked about the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38. When Philip preached unto him Christ, that's what he did, right? When he went to the chariot, he got into the chariot with the eunuch, and he saw the eunuch was there studying the book of Isaiah. I believe it's Isaiah 53, actually, in our Bibles. At that point in time, there weren't scriptures and chapters at that point in time. But there was a passage of scriptures that are talking about that, that suffering servant that we read about in, in Isaiah 53. And the eunuch had the question, who's he talking about here? Himself? Somebody else to come? And you see the response there, and I love the way uh, that Luke put it there in, in the book of Acts. I mean, the book, yeah, in Acts, I guess technically the, the spirit inspired Luke to put it in the book of Acts with regard to his inspiration. But Luke said that, he preached unto him Jesus from that point in the scriptures. And so you see that the, the word of God was preached. The word of God was conveyed to the eunuch. The eunuch didn't respond. He heard the preaching of God. He responded, of course, ultimately said, hey, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And he, in fact, became a baptized Christian that day. Saul was told what to do in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. Well, in order to convey to somebody what to do, what are you got to have? You got to have words of instruction You've got to have some direction. You've got to have some commandments there with regard to what you should do. And so as Ananias unfolded the gospel of Christ to Paul, he told him what he should do. And so there was some preaching involved there before Paul became a Christian. Salvation was accomplished from Paul hearing what he should do. And so obviously that mandates someone conveying that to him in this situation here. We have, of course, the, the gospel, the saving gospel message being conveyed to Paul, or it's really Saul, became a Paul, uh, so that he would be a converted Christian. And ultimately, again, we saw in Acts chapter 11, uh, Cornelius, the fact that they're conveying the story uh, there, they're talking about the fact that Cornelius heard other words. He heard other things. And we saw in Acts chapter 10 how Cornelius and his whole household became baptized believers after hearing... The word of God preached unto them. That saving gospel message came to them through Peter so they would be able to hear and understand. So what does this all say to us? Well, it shows us that the Spirit's leading of those who are, what I would say, alien sinners. Uh, those who are sinners are able to be led by the Spirit 
by listening and seeing and having the, the, the words of God unfurled to them, conveyed to them. The, the Spirit still leads them in that path of righteousness because it allows them to see the truth. It allows them to, to see that, that, that there is a conversion, there is a salvation that can be attained only as the Word of God is preached and is taught and that saving gospel is given. So that the Spirit does lead alien sinners. Not necessarily as some of our friends in the religious circles may say that it does. But the Spirit of God does lead sinners by conveying God's words, conveying His words to those who are looking for salvation. That saving gospel message is a way that the Spirit leads those sinners to Christ. Direct operation by the Spirit, by the way, is illogical. And real quickly, I don't want to get into much of this uh, with regard to it. There's some more examples, by the way. Lydia, the jailer, uh, the Corinthians in Acts chapter 18, the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, uh, the Ephesians 12 in Acts 19. I don't have time to go into all these examples. Acts is full of them. Every conversion story is predicated upon, by the way, the Word of God being taught. That gospel message being conveyed to those people seeking and searching for the truth. And when they heard the truth, they took action upon the truth. And that's where you see their conversion and that salvation occurring. Um, real quickly, the, the Spirit's leading of sinners is real quickly summarized in, in several passages, actually. Romans 1.16, we've already talked about, and the fact that the, the gospel is the power to salvation. Acts 17, uh, believers are produced when people search for the Scriptures. And so you see that concept there, that believers are produced when people search the Scriptures. The gospel message in 1 Corinthians 4.15, uh, the gospel message has the power to bring about there a uh, word of truth. And so you see that the, uh, I'm sorry, a new life, uh, bring about a new life. And then the next one is we are there in James, let's see, it's uh, James 1.18, we're brought forth by the word of truth. We're, we are renewed, we are regenerated, some versions have to say there in James chapter 1. And so the spirit regenerates uh, Sinners by the word of truth. And then also you see there, uh, the fifth point there is that to be healed, one must be converted. And being converted means to understand, to perceive, and to hear, and then ultimately to take action on what you have heard with regard to the leading of the Spirit. We're going to pick up here next week because I want to get into not just how the Spirit leads sinners, not just how He uh, guides the sinners to the word, but I also want us to kind of look at how he guides believers because there is, I think, a somewhat of a minute difference uh, when you think about how the Spirit leads believers. Some of that's intertwined with the indwelling, which we won't get into that specific concept next week. Uh, we'll touch on it, though, and, and look at that and move on. Hopefully next week we'll get started into the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we move on in our studies and lesson series uh, this quarter. Thank you for your kind attention this morning.